0: Alright, well, beginning tonight, we are going to be uh, studying the doctrines of grace. Um, there, there is a notes page, so if you didn't get that on the way in, maybe raise your hand and, and someone will get you a copy of that so you can follow along more easily. Um, but the, the doctrines of grace are also known as the five points of Calvinism. Um, often when uh, people use the term reformed theology or ask, are you reformed, uh, this is what they mean. Uh, But Reformed Theology is actually much broader than just these five points. So we're going to call them the Doctrines of Grace because we think that they emphasize God's grace in salvation. Uh, And the goal of this study is that we would better appreciate just how free and full God's grace is. Uh, Now, I'm guessing in this room there are some people for whom this topic is very new. uh, And then others uh, who are already well-versed in it. Uh, And so I'm I'm hoping to be able to present this in a way that will both be accessible to you if you're new to the topic, and at the same time, informative and interesting for you if you've already studied it quite a bit. Um, That's part of the reason we'll probably take um, seven or eight weeks to do this study instead of just five. Uh, There's five doctrines, Uh, but I want to have time to flesh some things out uh, so that it doesn't either feel too basic or too advanced. Um, And then also, I hope it's interactive. Um, Tonight, I think, will be a lot of me talking, but as we go along, I I want there to be more discussion and want to have the flexibility to address questions as they come up. And, you know, we never know quite how much time I'll have, so uh, having some built-in flexibility as we go will be helpful. Uh, Now, for today, we're going to just do an introduction. Um, I want to focus on the big picture, kind of orient us to the topic, then we'll look at each of the individual doctrines of grace in coming weeks. Uh, now, as I already said, there are five doctrines of grace or five points of Calvinism. Uh, and a good way to remember that is this acrostic called TULIP. Uh, you can see that on your notes uh, T for total depravity, U for unconditional election, L for limited atonement, I for irresistible grace, and P for perseverance of the saints. Um, and, and these five points are, are also the, the five key points of difference with a theology called Arminianism. Uh, now, as far as I know, the Arminians haven't come up with a clever ac- acrostic like the Calvinists. Uh, Daisy. Daisy. You know, now that you mention it, I remember I've heard that before. I don't remember how it... You don't know? Oh, all right. He loved me, he loved me, Mm. So radical fratty, yeah. grace, sovereign election, eternal life, and Yeah, thanks. So. Yeah, roses is, is just another way for the, the five points of Calvinism that you could spell it out. Uh, Day, I forgot about Daisy. I've heard that before. I'll have to look it up. Uh, but, but you know, there there's a... might be a stretch, <laughs> but, but hopefully you, you get the idea from, from looking at, at the list. Um, but you know, the, the, the point is that you know, there, there are these five doctrines, these five points of theology where there's difference. Um, in one sense, we could say, yeah, there's five different things, but in another sense, you know, I think as we go along, hopefully it becomes more clear, it's, it's really one central issue. Uh, and, and these five points all relate to that. Um, they, they, they largely stand or fall together. Um, sometimes you'll, you'll encounter people that will say, oh, I'm a three-point Calvinist or a two-point Calvinist. Um, but I think in most cases, uh, that's, that's because someone hasn't really thought it all the way through and, and they're not actually being all that logically consistent. Um, so hopefully this study will help us see how these five things all relate and it will make more and more sense as we go along. Um, and, and, and fundamentally, I, I think the, the, the kind of key question at the end of the day is this. In salvation, do we choose God or does he choose us? Now, of course, in one sense, whether you're Armenian or Calvinist, I mean, both of us are going to say, well, well both. Uh, because, you know, we as Calvinists are going to say, well, well yeah, we, God elects us. But when we have faith, we are choosing to follow Christ. Right? So we choose God, he chose us. Arminians, they're not, you know, they're, they're going to say, yes, there's such a thing as election. It's in the Bible. Um, so yes, God chooses us, but they're going to say our choice to follow Christ is really what comes first. And God chooses us in light of our choosing Christ. And so the question is really, who chooses first? Who's the determining factor in why you're saved and someone else isn't? Calvinists are going to say God, Arminians are going to say man. Um, Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit more today, but uh, before we even do that, uh, I I also want to just put this whole discussion and this whole uh, study in perspective. Um, First of all, uh, I just want to make clear that agreement on this issue is not a standard for membership in this church. Um, I and the elders are Reformed and Calvinistic. Um, but I don't want you to feel this pressure that you have to necessarily agree with everything I say in this study in order to be a member here. Uh, we think this is an important theological issue, but it's it's not a criteria for uh, fellowship uh, here in this church. Uh, as we say in the membership class, as long as you're comfortable with our confession of faith, which is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, um, you know, that's, that's what we're agreeing, that's the doctrine we uh, agree to hold together as members here. Uh, th- this is getting a little bit more defined and specific than our confession of faith. Um, and so, again, um, we hope this is helpful, informative. We want you to come to clear convictions about this, um, but we want to relieve you of the pressure like I have to agree with this or know what I think right away. Um, second thing. Uh, don't villainize the other side. Um, you know, on one hand, I, I, you know, I remember, a, I think, a fairly famous quote by John Wesley who said this of Calvinists, you represent God as worse than the devil, more false, more cruel, more unjust. On the other side, I've heard Calvinists say things like, you know, can Armenians even be saved? You know, do, do, do they even understand the gospel? Um, and, and I just want to say, I, I think we need to stay far away from that kind of rhetoric. Uh, the reality is there's a broad spectrum within Arminianism. There's also a broad spectrum within Reformed theology. And we do more harm than good if we judge the other side by its worst examples. Um, there are actually times when I probably feel closer in theology to someone who's Arminian than another Calvinist. Because some Calvinists you know, sort of emphasize God's sovereignty to the point of, denying human responsibility. Uh, You know, last summer I I read a book uh, by Ian Murray called Spurgeon versus Hyper-Calvinism. And Spurgeon, if you know him, I mean, he's very Calvinistic, and yet uh, he actually caught a lot of flack from other Calvinists early in his ministry uh, because of the way he was preaching the gospel and calling sinners to repent. And that uh, was opposed by some. A a false version of Calvinism called Hyper-Calvinism had crept in. And on the other side, um, you know, I have also met Arminians that scare me uh, because it, it just feels like they don't want to let God be God. And, and, and this idea of human freedom is is clung to in such a way that even trying to talk about God as a great, glorious, sovereign God is offensive to them. Um, you know, it's like they, they want control. But but that's not all Arminians, okay? And so, so don't villainize the other side, by its worst examples. We want to understand what people are actually saying, and why. Uh, now, a third point would just be: reform theology and Calvinism are a lot bigger than these five points. Uh, you know, I think it's unfortunate that some people hear the name John Calvin and they think, "Oh, you know, he's that theologian. He was just obsessed with predestination." Um, but that that's that's just not helpful. That's not true. Actually, the five points of Calvinism were never articulated by Calvin himself. Uh, it was only later that. Um, in, in the Netherlands, there, there was a theology professor named Jacob Arminius um, who sort of began teaching some, some different things. And then followers of him, uh, who became known as, known as the Remonstrants, uh, took issue with five points of theology um, that then led to the, the, the broader Dutch church having a big council called the Synod of Dort in 1619, where they responded with what now we know as five points of Calvinism. So so this was a response over particular debated points of a much broader theology. So we don't want to confuse this with the sum total of what Reformed theology is all about or what John Calvin was all about. So hope that kind of helps place our current discussion in proper perspective. Now, in the time we have left for today, I want to turn our attention to two scriptures. Um, if you want to turn there, that might be good. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, picking up in verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1.30. We read, and because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, Now, hopefully all of us can agree that if this verse means anything, it means that when it comes to salvation, God deserves all the credit. It's of him that we're in Christ, Christ has become for us all that we need. Uh, We have nothing to boast of. All the credit and glory belongs to God. Uh, Now, another verse would be Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. There's a lot we could have picked for this, but Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 This says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. You know, so whose fault is it that we're unsaved and lost in our sin? Ours. Ours. You know, the problem's not the strength of God's arm. The problem isn't the the dullness of his ear. It's that we have chosen sin instead of God. We're to blame. Um, And we're so much to blame that it's actually to the glory of God that he judges sinners in their sin. Um, So, putting these two verses together, you know, when it comes to the fact that some are saved and others are lost, uh, I, I think that... Calvinists and Arminians and you know, all Christians should be able to agree to the following axiom. You know, God should get all the credit, we should get all the blame. Right? God gets the credit, we get the blame. If we're saved, it's because of God. If we're lost, it's because of us. And when it comes to doing theology, the question is, well, how do we systematically put the pieces together... And all the, the, the truth that scripture tells us, how do we put it together in a way that is true to that, is true to God's word, and sort of logically coheres? Right? That, that's the key question. And you know, when Calvinists take issue with Arminians saying that you know, we're the ones who choose God, well, it's because we want to protect giving God all the credit in salvation. Uh, we want to make clear that salvation is all of his grace that we can't boast at the end of the day that the reason I'm saved and that person isn't is because I was a little bit smarter, I was a little bit more holy, and I chose to follow Christ and they didn't. No, God chose me. But then, on the other hand, when Arminians take issue with Calvinists saying that God chooses us, I think it's primarily out of a desire to protect God's justice in condemnation. You know, they're concerned that if we say, well, God chooses, well, then salvation's not in our control. And therefore, we're not fully to blame, you know, if we don't choose God. In fact, they say, well, if you say God's the one who chooses, you make it seem like it's sort of partially God's fault that some are lost and not saved. Um, so again, I think both sides are kind of trying to say, well, God should get all the credit and we should get all the blame. Um, the question is, how do you put the pieces together? Um, Now, most Calvinists, including myself, are basically going to say, well, you know, the way it fits together is because if we're saved, it's because God chose us, and if we're lost, it's because we chose sin. Um, Now, again, as we try to put those pieces together, there's some logical tensions that are going to come in. You know, how is God fully uh, sovereign, and how are we responsible at the same time? Um, There's some areas that we're not going to be able to totally explain, but we're going to say, but... But, hey, it's what the Bible says. And just like with Christology, just like with the doctrine of the Trinity, there's mystery there. Uh, But but this is how it fits together. Now, Arminians on the other hand are just going to say, we we don't buy that. We we don't think your way of trying to explain it and put it together works. Um, So so they're going to try to deal with that tension in another way. Uh, They're going to say... um, you know, actually, for us to choose God, well, it doesn't take any of the credit away from God. You know, faith isn't a work, it's, it's a gift. And then they're, they're also generally going to say, you know, well, well, God's not to blame for some people not being saved because, you know, at the end of the day, he's, God just isn't sovereign over every detail. Um, God willingly relinquishes some of his sovereignty so that we can have true freedom. Uh, that that's going to be the way they're going to try to explain that. So, you know, here we are with the question, well, well, who's right? How do we make up our mind? How do we approach this? And, you know, by this point, I hope I've kind of piqued your interest for the rest of the study, because that's what we're going to dive into in the coming weeks. But for tonight, I just want to introduce two crucial questions that I hope we keep coming back to and kind of become increasingly clear as we go along. And the questions are, number one, how sovereign is God, and number two, how sinful is man? How sovereign is God, how sinful is man? Um, and in your notes, I've got these two charts listed there. I I almost didn't include them because I know there's no way to do justice to this in you know the five or ten minutes we have for tonight, um, but. They're there. I hope they're helpful. I think we're going to come back to them as we go along. So if you're kind of new to this and you don't catch everything, that's totally fine. Don't don't be worried about that. Um, This this is just trying to introduce some things. Um, But but as we think first about this question, how sovereign is God? um, Notice that first chart where we've got open theism, Arminianism, Reformed, Hyper-Calvinist. And, and I just want to start with those two in the middle, of course, the Arminian and the Reformed slash um, Calvinistic view. And notice that the Arminian is going to say that in salvation, God is omniscient, but not sovereign. So God is not sort of actively controlling or choosing in advance who's going to be saved, who's not, but God's omniscient. That means he knows. Even before the beginning of the world, God foreknows exactly who's going to choose to come to him, who will reject him. He's omniscient. Now, when it comes to man, we have freedom. We have free will. Now, even Arminian is going to qualify that because sin affects our will. But at the end of the day, we have this freedom, this capacity to either choose God or not, and... Well, let me come back to mystery after I explain Reformed. Then the Reformed view says, in salvation, God is sovereign. So God chooses us. He's sovereign over every detail of everything in life. Um, Not only salvation, but everything altogether. And man is responsible. Now, not free. We we can talk about differences in how Reformed versus Arminian understand free will. But the key thing that a Reformed person is going to emphasize is not so much human freedom. Right? Because, well, yeah, we're slaves of sin. Our freedom is, is missing in many ways. But the key is that we're still totally responsible. And so for Reformed theology, the, the mystery, the tension is going to be between God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. That, that's where there's mystery. That's where, you know, how do you explain exactly how this fit together? And at some point we have to say, we, we can't. It's beyond us. Just like the Trinity or Christology is beyond us. But I want to point this out because in Arminian theology, there's also mystery. It's just in a different spot. You know, it's not that, you know, reform says, well, there's mystery, and then the Arminian comes along and can just sort of explain everything, and (laughs) there's no mystery at all. No, for them, the mystery is how can God be omniscient, and yet man can be free. Because if freedom means, you know, I can choose what I want, but God already knows what you're going to choose tomorrow, How are you free to choose something else, (laughs) right? And that understanding of freedom, it, it feels like it can't fit with God's omniscience. And so what I want you to notice is that there's open theism, which is basically what happens when an Arminian turns into a rationalist. And we take rationalism and you apply it to Arminian thought and you say, man is free, therefore I'm going to rationalize from that, you deny God's omniscience. If I'm free, God can't know the future because I have to be free. And then you're clearly denying the plain teaching of Scripture, right? You, you just moved outside altogether the realm of sort of orthodox doctrine of God. On the other hand, if a reformed person becomes a rationalist, and we want to say, okay, we get rid of the mystery. God is sovereign. Well, what's going to happen is notice the hyper-Calvinist under man is at least partially not responsible. You know, we start thinking things like, look, if, if if God chooses us before the foundation of the world, he's already chosen who's gonna be saved. What difference does it make if I share the gospel with my neighbor? If God chose them, well, they're gonna be saved either way. So so therefore my action is unimportant. You know, or or if you you know, trying to tell someone to believe, they think, oh well, it's if I'm a slave of sin, it doesn't matter. I'm not responsible to respond to this. I just sit back and wait for God to do something to me it 's on him you know so so hyper Calvinism is where the the reformed person turns into a rationalist. Arminianism is on the other side, and therefore you know, the, the question is not who has mystery who doesn 't The question is who 's placing the mystery in the right spot you know, who 's putting the, the mystery where the Bible does you know and, and so rest with this does, does the Bible ever limit God's sovereignty to protect human freedom? Or does the Bible just seem to assert God is sovereign and we're responsible at the same time? You know, does does the Bible try to limit one of the, you know, is is sovereignty ever limited? Or is it just asserted? Is that where the mystery seems to be? Um, And then on the other side, how does the Bible talk about God's omniscience? I mean, does it, does it feel like there's this tension between God being omniscient and humans being free? Or does the Bible just seem to move right past the omniscience to the sovereignty? You know, and actually lead us to, to conclude, well, yeah, of course God knows everything. Because he actually foreordains everything. He, he, he's in control to that degree. Um, and, and so I would certainly argue that I think Reformed theology is placing the mystery in the right spot. Um, But again, that's something we can come back to. Now, briefly, the the second chart there, um, particularly wrestling with the question, how sinful is man? Um, And and we will definitely come back to this next week when we think about total depravity. Um, but, But this is especially getting at the question of what kind of effect did original sin have on us? You know, how has the fall of Adam affected you and I? Now, Pelagianism, Pelagius was a, a heretic early on. He argued against St. Augustine, um, and Pelagius wanted to say, well, basically, there, there is no original sin. Uh, we're, we're born into the world a blank slate, just like Adam. You know, so on that understanding, salvation is based on our works, and, you know, we must obey the law to go to heaven. Uh, but Catholics, Arminians, Reformed, all of us are going to say, no way. You know, the Bible is so clear that, that actually Adam's sin had serious consequences for us. We, we inherit a corrupt, sinful nature and are unable to be saved apart from God's grace. And, and I think some, sometimes we as Protestants kind of mischaracterize Catholics by you know, saying things like, well, we believe in salvation by grace through faith. They believe in salvation by works and human merit. And, and, and any Catholic who knows their theology is, is, is going to say, no, like, of course not. I, I believed I'm saved by the grace of God. And, and then we might say, but, but don't you believe in works contributing to your justification? Right? But they're going to say, oh, but you know, I, the, you know, the, the faith, the hope, and the love that justify me you know, are only there by, by the help of the grace of God. You know, they're going to want to say that, look, at the end of the day, you know, I'm saved and somebody else isn't because I cooperate with God's grace. I need God's help. But I choose to cooperate with it, and therefore, as I believe, as I work, as I do all these things, I become saved. Um, and what I want you to notice is that this is where there, there's a little bit of similarity between that and uh, the Arminian view, because... Um, Arminianism also ultimately comes back to this idea of cooperating with God, too. Um, it, of course, like us, or like Reformed, Arminian is going to say that no salvation is by faith and faith alone. Right? It's the same basic understanding of the gospel. But you know, if you say to an Arminian, well, how could you as a sinner choose to place your faith in Christ? I mean, how serious is sin? I mean, how did original sin affect you? Well, most Arminians are, are still going to say, well, sin is really serious. You know, and in fact, in one sense, sin would have prevented me from even choosing Christ, but but God gives enabling grace. Sometimes they call it prevenient grace, right? God provides grace, but it's grace that we have to cooperate with, right? It's grace that at the end of the day, I chose Christ because God made it possible, but I cooperate with his grace, and the decision I made, then I was saved because of this cooperation. And... You know, part of the reason I go into that is because sometimes people will kind of hear reform versus Arminian and just say, well, I'm in the middle. I, I just believe that it's God's grace and it's our choice and there's just this mysterious cooperation. And, and actually I want to say, well, in some sense that's very similar to Catholicism, right? That there, there's, a, there's a cooperation at play um, and that's kind of what Arminians are going to wind up saying. There's, there's this cooperating. But at the end of the day, by cooperating, you're the one making the difference. It's about man. But Reformed theology, this is where Reformed theology is different because it's going to say, no, 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 sin is so serious. Sin goes so deep that salvation must depend on something more than cooperation with God's grace. We have to be changed by God's grace. That even the faith we exercise to receive the gift of salvation is itself a gift of God is a result of the working of God's grace in our life. And therefore, at the end of the day, unlike the other three systems of thought, the determining factor in salvation for reformed thought is not the will of man, but the will of God. That God is the one who chooses us. He saves us. Now, I was hoping we would have enough time to to entertain some questions and talk about a little application, but I think we're at time for tonight. Would love to entertain questions individually afterward, and next time we're to come back and begin talking, pick up where we left off, talking about the doctrine of total depravity. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time to uh, wrestle with hard questions, um, to, to to wrestle with uh, the, the the depths of the gospel. Lord, I pray that this study would be encouraging and unifying. I pray that even as our minds are stretched and and we peer into uh, depths of understanding that we we don't fully understand, but I pray that we would grow in awe of you. I pray that we would grow in awe of your grace. Uh, I pray that we would grow to treasure the gospel and our salvation more and more. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.